Hello and welcome to the Music Retailers Podcast. I'm your host, Donovan Bankhead, and together you and I are going to listen to and learn from some of my favorite instrumental music retailers, manufacturers, well, anyone else that I think would be interesting. My goal is to provide a podcast where you can learn something new in every episode. So let's dive in. Today we are talking to Tristan Reek, owner of Brass Bell Music in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Brass Bell is a full-line music store with an emphasis in school music and lessons near the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan. In today's conversation, we talk about the challenges of a multi-generational family business, what happens when it's time for an ownership transition in said family business, when and why it can be important for an owner to step back from the business, and why we should all be more involved with our local and national music advocacy efforts. Let's take a listen. This is kind of a first for me because Tristan's the first guest that uh, we know each other really well. We, we're friends uh, and we have been to each other's stores. We're in a couple of different sharing groups together, including one that's just four stores that travel to each other's stores. So we know each other really, really, really well. So it's going to be interesting how uh, that affects our conversation. But we're going to do our best to try to keep any inside jokes out and uh, keep everything relevant for anyone who might be listening. So Tristan, first thing is give me a little background about your business, like you know when it was started and by who and all that kind of stuff. So my mom and dad started the business in 1971 and primarily one location at that point in the southwest area of the Milwaukee, sort of the Milwaukee region. Uh, and then they expanded to several locations in the middle 80s. At that point, there were times when financially the business was struggling uh, and they needed to exit or but they were really by choice had to declare bankruptcy and my brother and I were actively working in the business. So they, so pretty much Todd and I uh, were continuing to work the business, but we started a new company with all of my siblings and, and we then were taking advice from my dad running this new company. And that happened in 1991. Interesting. And is that when you got involved? Well, I don't know. Do do you count actually being <laughs> in the commercial when I was three and a half years old? I, I feel like I get to count that one. <laughs> that might be a bit of a stretch, but you started working in it. I mean, basically it's your earliest memories are probably working in the store, right? Yeah, actually. Saturday mornings, their Saturdays, that was kind of the day to go hang out with dad and just be there usually doing some of the, you know, stuffing bills or, you know, something that was pretty easy for a seven, eight, nine-year-old kid to do. Right. Child labor. You got to yes. love it. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure we, I started at a nickel, a nickel an hour. Oh, well, he paid you. I mean, at least yeah. that's something. Well, I, had to, I did have to keep track of my own hours. So. <laughs> that's a good dad right there. I like that. I like that. So uh, at what point did you start working and, and being a little more involved uh, than just, you know, coming in on a weekend to stuff envelopes? In my teenagers, about 14, 15, I walked over. The school was a couple miles. I would walk over to the store and I was doing filing and really basically just organizational work for the business at that point. And Brass Bell, so uh, it's a school music dealer. Kind of tell us what you specialize in and maybe 
the things maybe you don't specialize in? What makes you different than other music stores in terms of just general services? So we don't do pianos, but otherwise full line. We have 16 lesson studios, um, school services. I think what makes us pretty unique if you would compare to other music stores is we have a really small territory before we hit our closest competitors. So our market is really quite small. And then we also have the lake. So we only have half of that concentric circle to because we're 10 blocks from Lake Michigan. So we do have this very, very tiny little niche area that we work with. Right. That's a great point. I mean, so general location strategy is, you know, you're trying to find a location and then you're drawing a, drawing a circle of a certain radius around your business and that's your customer pool. And in your case, you've got like, uh, Lake Michigan <laughs> that is like half of your circle and uh, probably not a lot of business to be done out there. Uh, but yeah, that's it. So that's kind of a unique challenge. Also probably gives you more touristy type stuff coming into Milwaukee and things like that. Uh, how has that affected your business having, you know, being near one of the great lakes like that? Actually, I don't know that I would say we get a lot of touristy business, although I think you should ask me again after the DNC is here or the DNC convention, um, because that may change things. We're 10 minutes from downtown or I can make it in like six and a half. And yeah. so, you know, we'll see what happens when we have, you know, thousands of people in town. Right. Yeah. Well, that'll be interesting for sure. So, all right. So Brass Bell, uh, full line music store. I, you know, I, I think you specialize or really excel in the school music side and lessons. That seems to be an area that, that the whole band string rental and lessons and stuff. That's like your kind of your wheelhouse. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and your background, you're a French horn player and obviously you played in school bands and stuff like that. Yep. Grew up, I don't think I had any choice. There was no way I was going to tell my dad that I didn't want to play. Of course, I always wanted to impress my dad. So, you know, when he said, you're going to play the alto horn in fifth grade, I was like, okay, I have no idea what this thing is. I was pretty bad at it. I'm pretty sure it was college. I was playing the French horn and my mom said, is there any way you can make her sound better than this? <laughs> so I, I, I have grown a bit actually fabulously. Last night I had a chance to play with my high school band director in uh, Concord Chamber Orchestra. So that was kind of a fun treat for me to show off a little bit that I might have I might have grown a little bit since high school. Yeah, you may have gotten improved. Well, that's awesome that you still play and you play in some community ensembles in the Milwaukee area and, you know, you still find a way to continue to play. Yeah, I love playing. I think it helps bring home what what we do in this business, why it matters. And, you know, all my friendships, some of my best friendships are there. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I get to play at an ensemble in my area and it's literally one of the highlights of my week when I get to do it. Our rehearsals are starting up uh, this month and I just got the music today and like, I just can't wait. You know, it's all my friends and customers are in this ensemble and it's a really great ensemble and it's just, it's a highlight of my week to get to go play with them. Even the horn players who aren't currently with our group all got texted last night, you know, selfie texts with, you know, these are, these will be my, my buds for life. That's awesome. So you went to, went to college. What did you major in in college? 
I started out as a math teacher. I want, I thought that I wanted to be a math teacher and did that for two semesters, two years. And when I sort of looked at how much I had to go before I would finish and I had another five classes of really tough math, I just gave up. <laughs> I said, no, I cannot do this hard math. I think I was four semesters in the college calculus and I was just overwhelmed. And at the time I was already doing some of the bookkeeping, some of the behind the scenes sales tax. And that was, I mean, that was really my thing. I loved doing any office work and organizing. So the accountant at the time said, you know, why don't you just try a couple like basic business classes. It'll just help make everything sort of click for you, make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, aced accounting. The business classes were simple. And I found like, oh, this is really cool. I actually enjoy this. And so I kind of headed that direction, still not really thinking I was going to end up doing this business um, or like staying within the family business. I figured I would go off and do something else because I had an older brother who was four years older and he was kind of the heir apparent. And it kind of seemed like he was going to be the one to take it all over. Right. So that's interesting. First, I, I got to say, like, I'm pretty amazed that it took you two years to figure out that math is hard. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. (laughs) So no shame on that. And it's great for you to have a a business, you know, an educational background in business and getting into the music industry, because I think most of us don't have that. Um, Tell me how you feel like that's uh, shaped how you look at your business and how it's helped you and affected you. I think it's interesting because I loved looking at numbers. And so you're right. I, you know, when I talk to other people, most people don't like doing that. So I think in my early years, I loved running reports. I loved comparing, analyzing all of the information. I would just take gobble up information and just, you know, and this was, you know, basically before I had really learned Excel and I really never dumped all of that into Excel. So it was really just running reports. I have a really good memory. So I could run reports. I probably had, you know, years of financial statements just in my head and I could just remember that. Um, So that was really great. I loved doing that. And I knew that it was different that, you know, when you go and talk to people, they didn't, that wasn't what anybody else in the music business really wanted to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gives you a unique skill set. I think having a business background and a good memory can be really nice. I mean, I have a pretty good memory. I can remember exactly what was on my sandwich that I had for lunch today. But outside <laughs> of that, it starts to get real foggy if we go any further past uh, back than that. So you had mentioned um, something really fascinating, and I wonder if you're you know okay talking about this, but you had mentioned that you're brother was, you know, kind of be seemed to be set up to be the heir apparent to the business. Of course, your brother is no longer involved in the business and you were the the sole owner of it. Can you share a little bit about like what happened during that transition and how you got to where you are today in terms of ownership? Yep. So uh, mom and dad, Todd and his wife and newborn baby go on a little vacation and I loved the power (laughs) in Mexico and I didn't have to call them for any decisions. This was 1996. And I realized that week while they were on vacation that I really kind of enjoyed this and I might actually want to make a career. So that kind of transitioned me into this, hey, wait, I think I'm going to stay around. And um, 
at the time my dad's health was failing. So really my brother and I kind of took that role of running the day-to-day operations. And dad was still a mentor of, you know, what do we do with these big decisions? Or if we're going to build a new store, he would help us, something of that sort. You know, the big stuff, he was really actively involved. But otherwise, Todd and I were pretty much doing the day-to-day. And it got to the point in 2004 where I realized that sometimes we just really could not get along. And um, sometimes it just made for kind of stressful, miserable, long days when you feel like you don't even want to talk to one another. And I told him I thought that we would, either one of us would be dead or one of us would be in jail. And I think that we pretty much needed to kind of look at what possibilities originally I thought I was, he basically said, if you're going to, if you want to break up the business, then you should leave. And I attended the RPMDA in Biloxi, which would have been probably my seventh or eighth. And I loved the industry. I loved being part of this industry so much that before I even left the airport to fly home, I knew that I wanted to talk to him about what the possibilities were. And I think I might've even weeped a little bit to the accountant. Like, I don't know why I'm leaving this interest industry. And, and our accountant said, I think you should talk to Todd. He may have an opportunity. And that kind of is the history. I bought him out instead of him buying me. Oh. And was he agreeable to that at the time? At the time, his opportunity was pretty cool. He is a Snap-on tool dealer now. So at the time, that was he was very interested in that. Of course, like any divorce that was a really emotional and challenging time. Sure. Um, but I would say, honestly, I think our relationship is so much stronger for that now. I really think, to be honest, if we were trying to run a business together now in kind of our wisdom years... Uh, we probably could have done it because I think we are so uniquely different that we would have been able to value. If we could have valued what was good about our own strengths, we really could have been dynamite together. But we just, I just don't think it was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be challenging. I think family business is always challenging. Uh, and then getting two siblings to try to take over as the second generation run the business is hard, especially when those siblings have really different personalities. And uh, I mean, I had the opportunity to meet your brother and you guys are a lot different. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean, like there's still some family similarities in terms of like, you know, you guys are, uh, you're both very direct and good communicators, but you're definitely different types of people. <laughs> and uh, I could see how that could be challenging, especially when you're younger and you haven't yet figured out how to cope with that, you know? Right. So totally agree. So that's interesting. So tell me uh, what your role is in your business and give, just give us an idea of like what your day-to-day looks like. So one of the things that actually came from our sharing group, the the small group of four music stores was... I continually was figuring, trying to figure out why our business just wouldn't grow. And, and after talking with you, I came to the conclusion that while I was trying to know everything about everything and about everything, like I needed to know everything, I, there was no way that the business could grow because I'm just one person. So that was about three years ago and really kind of led me on this journey. Now I'm 28 years into owning this business. So it's really led me on this journey to recognize how important it is in order for us to grow the business that I don't necessarily have to know every last detail and that I need to just put key people in place that I really trust and then mentor them and guide them and 
hopefully help them grow in their career. And so, yeah, I'm on that roller coaster ride now, I think, in my career. And it is definitely a roller coaster ride because some days I'm good at letting go and some days I <laughs> absolutely want to know what the hell are you talking about? Right, right. So that, that's a fascinating conversation. So let's dive into that a little bit. You know, you're someone who I don't want to say you're a control freak or a micromanager, but if there's a nicer version of those things, then we'll use that word. But uh, <laughs> I just don't know what it is. Uh, but you, you know, you just definitely. want me to keep liking you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have many friends, so I need to keep the ones I've got. Uh, but anyway, so for someone who it does tend to like to be able to like, control all the strings and know what's going on, uh, trusting someone else to take over knowing that they're going to make their own mistakes and things like that can be challenging. How did you prepare yourself for that? I think in part, I, I was ready. I, I felt like I needed to step a little bit out of the day to day. I realized that in order to give the opportunity, the, the right opportunity to a new store manager, I really needed to step out of the day to day. So I moved my office out of the store and i was working primarily from home. The only time I was going in for meetings was just for meetings with her and or departmental meetings as needed just to work with the staff and kind of keep things spinning along. Um, yeah, that was, so that was the, probably the first step was physically taking myself out of the store, right? Because mentally it was still going to be a challenge, but physically not being there meant I didn't, see everything. I didn't know everything. And then the next steps were taking myself off of all the email chains and, you know, not being involved in every group email that was going on and having to have something to say to every email. I think, yeah, for someone who that's a real challenge, you know, sometimes something as drastic as like, all right, I'm going to move my office out of the store and purposely not be there so I can give space for other people to grow. That's sometimes what it takes and that you got to be brave to do that because this is your business. This is your livelihood. It's your baby. It's your family legacy. It can be tough to kind of step back and let other people have a chance with it. But uh, sometimes that's what it takes. But something else that you did and you talked about, which is really important, you know, you didn't just step out and let those other people just sort of figure things out. You helped to mentor and, and guide them. So uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was your process for working with the store manager uh, so that they would be able to make those day-to-day -day decisions in your absence? I think, and, and I would actually say I've learned a lot from it and I probably have changed now how I run those types of meetings. Initially with the store manager, I really let her tell me what she was struggling with, what her challenges were, or what she wanted to learn, what she wanted to talk about. And so I really let her kind of create the agenda and then we would discuss those topics that she brought up. But I think my mistake was really I should have been helping her focus and maybe even setting her own goals for what she wanted to accomplish in the business. I let her learn anything and everything, but I think that overwhelmed her, which mm -hmm. was, you know, and I, and as, as I ended up taking her resignation last fall, it was, you know, this business didn't just like I didn't know how to manage this business the way it is today in 12 months or 10 months, right? This business, when I started in my first year of managing, was so tiny compared to what we do now. So I realized that I just had, I, I should have 
myself tried to keep her really focused on a very narrow, like manage the staff. Don't worry about all of the aspects of what it takes to run the business. And so that's really what, you know, with our new crew of managers, that's really how we've been focused is that their job is to really learn to manage the day-to-day and just managing their team. Yeah. For a new person coming in, trying to run the show, it's a little bit like drinking out of a fire hydrant, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and like, I just didn't see it, right? Because it was my first big, you know, I, I really sure. this was it. I hadn't tried this before. Yeah, and so you did it, and it wasn't perfect the first time you tried it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was less than perfect, which left me with a, a, a challenging 2018. I would say 2018 was probably one of our harder years because I had to really go pick up the pieces of sort of what fumbled. You know, but it it's, it shows what commitment you have. And I, I think it was really wise on your part to just because it didn't work to not say, well, that didn't work. I just have to get back in and take care of all of it. Because a lot of small business owners will do that. You know, you instead like, all right, you know, why didn't this work? And what do I need to do different next time? And you went back and tried it again. And I think that's, that's really wise. And it's, and you know, it, you have to be pretty bold to do that because a lot of people would just turn around and go back to the way it was. I think part of that was just knowing that one of the other reasons to do this was that we needed to make sure there was security for my staff. If if for some reason something happened to me, I want them to know that they have a job, right? So I, I feel really confident that my business could run for easily 18 months. I consider my big role is business development, getting out, you know, and really seeing what the opportunities are going to trade shows, learning what's relevant and new. And yes, that would have to be, that person would have to be replaced if, if I wasn't available. But right now they're fully capable of running the store, which really creates a ton of job security and also increases the value of the store. But my reason for doing it was more about them and making sure that I leave a legacy. I don't have any children to take over this store. And so my hope is that someday I have maybe a store manager or a few employees that really love it and want to take it over. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. So how would you describe the culture of your store? Oh, that is a really good question. I'm sure that the way I would describe it has nothing to do with the way they think it would actually. (laughs) Oh, let's talk about both. So how would you describe (laughs) it? And then how do you think they would describe it? That Um, could be fascinating. I think they would describe it as, oh, I think they would describe it as awesome when it happens to be my work at home day, right? Because they can (laughs) all get a ton of work done and I'm not interrupting them or expecting them to do my projects or something that I see needs to be happening. Um, I think they would describe it as, I think they know I'm super passionate about what we do and why we do it. So I think that's how they would describe it is that we work hard and some days are stressful and some days are not the funnest days, but that at the end of the day, they get the reason we're doing it, right? They love working with people, starting children on instruments, giving answers to musicians in our communities that, you know, they get that the hard work and kind of what I expect out of them, I think is that that's because then we do something great. Yeah. I think, I think they would say that. It's great that you have that viewpoint of them of like, when you're not there, that they're working on the business and they're handling things. I think sometimes store owners think that if they're not there, then everyone's just on Instagram or Snapchat or, you know, not, not helping to build the business, but you feel like your people are. 
Well, you did hear the part where I said they do prefer the days when I'm not there, right? <laughs> right, but you said it was because they can focus on the things that they think are important in the business. That is, that is accurate. That's true. Yes. Are you just saying that because you know this is going to like go out on the internet and people are going to hear it? <laughs> no, I I do. I really do think that for the most part, they're they're really dedicated to their role. I think what happens when I'm in there is I just switch their priorities around. And I think that's just really obnoxious and it's hard for me to stop doing that. Yeah. Sometimes it's good though. I mean, I, I, I think uh, you and I suffer from that same, well, or are blessed uh, with that same skill. And sometimes it's very crucial because, you know, we are wanting more out of our business and uh, your average employee is just there to try to you know, pull off another Tuesday. And, um, you know, we want to see the business grow and develop and change. And so in order to do that, you've got to say like, no, we let's do this different. Let's do this better. Let's, let's try this new thing. And that's, I mean, that's our responsibility in our business. Yeah. One of the last things I'm transferring now back to our managers and our manager team at this point is our scheduling. And he wanted to schedule and start working on August. And I said, wait, you haven't finished last what's the next 10 days? Like we can't talk about August until you get the schedule for the next 10 days up. So sometimes just reminding them, you know, like, wait, what is your real priority right now? What do you need to be working on today? And I know you'd rather be working on that other stuff because that's kind of the fun puzzle to work on. But no, we, we have to work on the kind of yucky, gross work today so that we can get to the stuff that's going to be kind of enjoyable. Yeah. So what are you working on right now? My biggest thing is advocacy. I spend a lot of my efforts with not only our outreach and event coordinator, but also outside of the store, working on advocacy, kind of learning more about what's going on in the state of Wisconsin. I participated in the NAM fly-in six years ago. Uh, after, So I have to admit that my first 12 months, I did absolutely zero I was inspired and did nothing and then came back for a second year and said, ooh, I don't think I want to come back a third year and have done absolutely nothing on this. And so I said, what's next? How do I take this to the next level? And Mary Lurson said, go home and work in your own state and find out what's going on in your state and tell them you're ready to help and you want to be a part of that work. And so, yeah, I think that my... One of my gifts is networking people. It might also be known as strong arming or bending people's <laughs> arms backwards and saying, you will participate in this networking call. And um, hey, I really need you to join this. But just last month, we had 18 different music vendors and music stores join in with our new executive director for Wisconsin and connect about what's going on with Wisconsin and our advocacy efforts. So that, that was pretty exciting to to make that happen. I think a lot of times when people approach music advocacy, they're doing it because there's a problem. You know, there's a program that's getting cut. And while, you know, that's certainly a, you know, a time to get involved, it's, you know, you're getting involved kind of on the front end of it. You're being proactive and addressing uh, music advocacy concerns before you're in that situation where program's getting cut. Can you talk a little bit about why you feel being proactive in this regard is so important? I think in some cases, I'm actually like with our own 
urban school, Milwaukee public schools, there have been the drastic cuts. They're already gone. So in this particular case, we're not actually being proactive. We're really going to be trying to restore something that in, in the great days was pretty amazing and now is pretty sad. But yeah, I think that I look at it more globally in terms of what are some of the what are some of the bigger initiatives rather than going into one district and trying to fight the fight with one district? I would rather connect all of our music stores in the state and create this network so that we can learn from one another and use each other as resources. And that way, yeah, I don't know if, if when it's, when the program is on the chopping block, it's almost too late. You really have to know what you're doing and you have to be really good at it. And I have fought that fought before. Like I've been to those school board meetings and generally once those decisions are made, they're really challenging. They're very hard to undo unless you get the parent support behind that. Um, so this was more of a looking at the long picture, like the 10 year picture of what do we do to really build a a state network that kind of gets it and people that we all can have that same message that we're getting putting out there. Right. You mentioned that you're in your state, you're trying to work with your competitors as well. And, you know, sometimes people can be reticent to do that. It can be difficult to reach out to people you compete against. Uh, how has that process gone? Has there been, you know, have people been trusting of it and willing to do it? Or have, you, have your competitors been standoffish? Tell me kind of how that process has panned out. <laughs> I think a mix of that, right? I've had some people that have gotten involved and thanked me profusely saying, wow, thank you for sharing this and making sure we're involved. I have had a few where I think they are involved because they want to make sure they know what I'm up to. <laughs> and they think that that's going to give them some sort of a guide. And I'm, I'm okay if that gets them to the table and it gets them participating in this work and at least distributing the information out to their network of schools and, you know, that's, I think that's what it's about for this work. That doesn't mean that when I go to a rental night, I want to play nice, but with this work, I'm, I'm kind of, I just take a different viewpoint of what my job and role is with this. A rising tide does raise all ships. Yep. And that's really, that's really the motto that I go behind. It's really the easiest way to look at this work. Why, why do we do Make Music Day? You know, it's about making more music makers in our city. Does that mean that we're going to benefit? Absolutely. Does it mean that the other music stores are going to? Yeah, absolutely. But I love music. I love what it's done for my life. So why wouldn't I want to give that to everybody else? And if I'm giving it to them and somebody else benefits, that's, that's great. That still makes me happy at the end of the day. Sure. Absolutely. Have there been tangible benefits to your business uh, as a result of the advocacy work? You know, interesting, a, a little bit. It's harder to measure that, right? So you don't necessarily uh, see that, but people have noticed. I think people have reached out. A funny story. I actually had a friend who um, has a daughter in a district that's right in our competition's backyard and they said, hey, could you come talk to our parent group about what you're doing with music advocacy? And I was like, sure, absolutely. I, I'm happy to do that. Only to find out that uh, my competitor actually has a child in that school. Oh. That was interesting. But to hear that these guys, you know, I mean, and we do actually have a teeny bit of a relationship with this school because of that, you know, that conversation. Now we're not going to be their strong music store because we're so far away from them. However, we did get 
you know, my work with advocacy got the, my foot in the door with communicating with this band director. Um, and yet we played nice and all was good. And, and it was fun to be there to share what I have learned and that this is something I'm passionate about. And I know that it's not something that my competitor necessarily has the expertise on, but I was also happy to be there as like, please reach out to me or, you know, it doesn't have to be me. You know, both of us are NAM members and we can both do this work for you. So I was pretty eager to just be like, you know, giving in terms of, I had understood this was his territory. Yeah. So for those that are listening and, you know, starting to feel that conviction of like, you know what, I really should get involved. How can they begin to get involved in music advocacy in their state? The best way to get involved would be to really connect with their music educators association, find out if there's an advocacy committee or an advocacy group that's existing. Hopefully there is some form of a group. When I first joined our group five years ago, gosh, that's, I didn't realize it's been five years, but (laughs) they weren't exactly the most receptive. So my words of advice is be persistent. I think we all sometimes when working with teachers that you know, they come from, they speak a little different language than us and they, they really don't understand why maybe we want to be involved. And they do think that we're doing this just so we can make a few more bucks. And I think it's important to make sure that they understand your real reason for wanting to be a support. And, and I think it's important to find what you're happy doing, right? Maybe it's just knowing what's going on in your state and getting the message out to your customers and just being part of the communication. Or maybe you do get active and like, like I have done now several times, you're going to the Capitol and you're asking for bills to be written that change state law. Um, so it's really kind of follow the path that you most enjoy or what you're going to want to invest some time on because it is the long haul work and it, you're not going to do it for 10 days and then just be like, yay, I'm all done with this. Um, <laughs> I've advocated. I'm ready to move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a big, you know, it's a lot of, um, you, you think about what you want in 10 years and then you might get there. Yeah. You know, I, as you know, uh, you inspired me to participate in my state uh, music advocacy group, and uh, they kind of sent an email out out asking for people that wanted to participate, and I signed up, and I had no idea what I was doing, so you and I spoke on the phone, and kind of, you know, I was telling you, all right, what what should I expect, and uh, what should I prepare, and, and we had a nice conversation about that, and then I just went and joined this group and I figured I would just sort of be tagging along and, you know, just kind of be there and smile and say, I'm the music store guy. And it was very interesting because one, I was the only music store that was there. uh, The only business person there, everybody else was a teacher or a student or a parent. There was a few parents there, which was nice to see. Um, But I uh, quickly got kind of put into basically doing some of my own meetings one-on-one and I remember walking into one of these meetings and just told the the uh, person I was meeting with, said, you know, I've never done this before. Uh, I'm a little nervous, but like this cause is really important to me. So I'm putting myself out there to be here and do this. And like I had really, really uh, great conversations with everyone that I met. And of course, with music advocacy, no one's going to say, ah, oh, we don't like music. Like everybody loves it. But starting to get really pointed about the things that you need and what you're asking for and building those relationships are really important. And I left that day with stronger relationships with some of the 
you know, music educators and students, but I also left with like relationships with people that are working in my state capital that I never would have thought that I would have had. And, um, you know, it just took a day. I just spent a day, you know, that's all it was. It's a day I would have normally spent in my office. Instead, I went up to the state capital and I think it was definitely worthwhile. It was worth putting myself out there to do that. And it was something I'll certainly continue to do. I think we talked maybe the week or few days before you were headed out there. And I hope that I said, try not to be nervous about it. I know that when you're going in for the first time, you feel like, oh, who am I? Why am I doing this? I don't, you know, like, I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And I hope I told you, tell your story, right? Because yeah. that's the power. That's, yeah. and that's what makes really makes for the interesting conversation. Usually if you think you have a canned speech when you go in there, that's going to make for a really boring meeting, but going in and learning what, what their story is with music and talking to them. And then of course, your, your, hopefully your advocacy group has an ask and something that they want you to focus on. And then after you've developed the relationship, just like we do in every sale, once you have the relationship, then you can ask yeah. for what it is that we need. Yeah, that's exactly right. I remember the last meeting I had, the, uh, my representative was a, a business owner in my area for a long time. And so we had just had been talking about that quite a bit and kind of got into all of this stuff in his past. And, you know, at the end of it, he's like, um, so what are you here for? <laughs> and like, oh, yeah, all right. And we went into what that, you know, kind of my general purpose of why I'm there. And he's like, all right, well, then what exactly can I do for you? And I told him what it was and he was like, I can get behind that. I'll support that. And uh, I was like, wow, this is great. At the end, he was like, you know, you should be a lobbyist. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't have a lot of soul left, but I have a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> But that's the point that those are the best meetings. Those are the meetings that they love and whether or not you actually got to meet with your member of Congress or you probably met with a lot of their aides, which are, these are the most incredibly smart people who really have the ear of our member of Congress, that's the, you know, they're, they're, in, think about what they have to listen to every day. So they would love to build a relationship. They would love to have an enjoyable 10 minute, 20 minute conversation. And then, yeah, if they can believe in you and get behind you, then it's easy to ask. Yeah. For, yeah. And it's easy to ask for music stuff, right? We get yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So just go do it. If you're listening, go do it. You don't have to be a school music dealer to you know, find benefit in doing this. It's We're out to create more music makers. So get off your butt and go do something. It'll, you'll, if nothing else, you'll learn about how government works. And it's really fascinating, if nothing else. That, that is actually true. I, I, I definitely watch a lot more political shows, political... I'm way more interested in what happens with that these days after beginning this work. Yeah, God help us. <laughs> At Springfield Music, we started using Merchant Cost Consulting earlier this year. These guys are former banking and credit card reps who go and negotiate your processing rates on your behalf. Now, like most of you, we're pretty aggressive about shopping our processing rate around, so I wasn't sure they'd be able to save us much money. But boy, was I wrong. On average, they're saving us about 600 bucks a month. The deal is we split it 50-50 with them for so many months, and after that, all the savings are ours to keep. Plus, they keep an eye on your fees during this time to make sure those freaking credit card processors don't find a way to jack up your rate again. They're good folks, and they do what they say they do. Actually, in our case, they under-promised and over-delivered. They estimated about 500 bucks a month in savings, and it's been closer to 600. When you contact Patrick at Merchant Cost Consulting, tell him that Donovan Bankhead sent you. This does two things. One, 
they will pay me a slight referral commission. But more importantly, two, you'll get 10% off of your first month's bill if you choose to go with them after their free analysis. Listen, I wouldn't recommend it to you if it wasn't worth it. It'll only take a few minutes of your time. They handle the rest. Contact Patrick McClellan. His email is patrick at merchantcostconsulting.com. P-A-T-R-I-C-K at merchantcostconsulting.com. I'll even give you a cell phone number, 508-733-7622. And remember, tell them that Donovan sent you. So let's jump back into Brass Bell. So where do you see Brass Bell in in 2020? So that's not that far away. Isn't that nope. just like six months from now? Yeah. So I mean, like in the next, you know, six to 18 months, kind of what's your plan? What do you see for the business in the short term? Well, we recently did uh, an expansion with our shop. Oh, right. You've seen our shop. I have. Yeah. Miss want to talk a little bit about that? Did you want to embarrass me? No, we t- <laughs> no, I thought it looked awesome. I, I, why don't you t- tell us a little bit about that and tell us how you think it's going to affect your next 18 months. Okay. So we've tripled the size of our shop. So we now have 675 square feet with our <laughs> shop. <laughs> when you say shop, you're talking about your repair shop. Your repair shop, right? The Which, whole store is 8,400 square feet. So the repair shop now has a maybe closer to 700 square feet. Yeah. I think the repair shop before probably had what, about 70, 75 square feet. 125, I think. Like a good sized closet. Yeah. And we crammed three repair technicians, sometimes a fourth in there. And um, so for me, I really was looking at a change that happened with one of our local stores who was really well known for their repairs. Uh, they were recently purchased by Music and Arts. And I felt that we have really, really strong relationships with our schools that we have already been doing business with. And I felt like this might be an opportunity for us to sort of reach out a little bit further than we normally had in our in our territory, kind of instead of just like a 10 mile radius, maybe you know, pushing that a little bit more to 25 and 30 miles. Um, and so we've now been connecting with a number of schools that are interested in using our services. Um, so we will be doing an open house on Thursday night this week to oh, sort of the cool. unveiling of the new shop. It was interesting because I was so excited about the new clean shop, right? And I was out of town for the fly-in. I come back home and they've moved everything back into the shop. And I'm like, wait, it looks the same as the other one. <laughs> I thought this was going to be clean and tidy, but shop guys are shop guys and they love their... I love their stuff. Yeah, they do. Have them move it all out just for the party, and then they can put it all <laughs> <laughs> They might quit on me. I wouldn't do that to them. It's like staging a home. You know, you don't actually live in your home that way. It's just the way it looks like we're when gonna, you have it. We're going to clean tomorrow. So we'll clean a little bit tomorrow and, and make it look pretty. That's awesome. So bigger showroom space or uh, shop space for, for that. And it's helping you get new school business. So I think over the next year, you're, you're anticipating hopefully getting new school accounts, doing more repair with those uh, schools and uh, hopefully being able to provide a better work environment for your, your repair people that are in there. Yeah. They're a little bit happier these days. I bet. Yeah. They can work on a flute without having to like interlock their arm with the person next to them to reach around it. (laughs) Right. Or suck in their bellies or yeah, all of that. (laughs) So what's your plan for Brass Bell in three years? 
Oh, I wish I had somebody that was really ready, ready to be groomed for transitioning to buy the business. I don't know. That would be, I would love to, to do that, but I don't know. I don't think I will have that person and I don't want to just sell it. Um, I would love to mentor someone who I could spend the next 10 years really teaching them the ins and outs of the business. And I think teaching them a a little bit of like my legacy and my love for the business. I get that it wouldn't be identical, but at least to carry on some of the traditions of what I've worked so hard to help create and, and even parts of what my dad created with the business. Um, I wish that would happen. I don't know if that's realistic. So it could happen. It is. I mean, if you think like, if you think your 10 year plan is you'd like to, you know, have someone else own the business, then in the next three years to start trying to identify someone or, uh, I mean, that's certainly in terms of a plan, that's a great plan. It may not pan out quite that way, but you still got to start with a plan. So yeah, I think that's good. What's the best part of running your company? Okay. Do you know that, um, that it start, it's a motion picture where all these wheels are like clicking together. I can't think, I think it's like DreamWorks, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it starts the, you know, and, and you see these gigantic wheels and these tiny little wheels and they're all together and, and they're all working together, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I get that like really big <laughs> rush or high when I like get into my store and I'm like, everything seems to be working. Everything seems to be actually under control today. Yeah. Isn't and that a great feeling? It's, it's all clicking, right? Yeah, I mean, I've had it once or twice, so. <laughs> <laughs> we live for those few moments. They don't happen oh. often, but when they do, you know. And, you know, I'm just like any video game addict. I want that moment back, right? So, yeah. so I'm just going to keep working hard for it. And that's it. You know, when I see everything just sort of meshing and seeing the way like the way I designed it or way that I wanted it to work seems to be working. That's, that's the best. Yeah. So if that's the best, then what's the worst? (laughs) You know what the worst is, right? (laughs) When there's sand and something stuck in those wheels (laughs) and a person that actually is holding back one of those wheels or a person that's just, you know, putting their own personal vomit on those wheels or (laughs) 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 any of that stuff. Right. And I love to death my staff. I love them all, but sometimes managing people is a tough thing, right? That's a, it's a hard part of the business. It is. It really is. I mean, it's one of my favorite parts. I mean, like you, I, for the last week or so, I've been doing a bunch of one-on-ones with the leadership of my business because we're having some difficulties that we've had a hard time breaking through. And um, those one-on-one meetings, even though there's some very difficult conversations being had, like I love those. And um, But at the same time, I get really frustrated sometimes by the same people, you know, that aren't doing the things that they've agreed to do and aren't behaving in the way that I thought that we would agree we were going to behave, you know, and um, it can be really frustrating and infuriating, maddening saddening. I mean, all of the bad feels, it can, <laughs> it can be that, you know, I can leave one meeting and just have my heart full of joy and love. And then the next time you talk, you're just like, God, this is horrible, you know, and it's definitely challenging. Definitely, definitely challenging. So tell me what you think is wrong with our industry. 
Wow. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's challenging for me. I think I can tell you the, the complicated things, the things that are hard about it, but what's wrong with it seems, I don't know. It's, it's like going to flow the organic way it's going to go. So it's maybe I don't look at it as if I can't control it, then I don't know why I'm talking about it. Um, I certainly would love to see more women in our industry and, you know, really feeling like they have a voice in the industry. And I think this is beginning to change. I have some fabulous friends in the industry. And um, so I, I would say that's, a, that's probably something that, you know, that's a fight I would fight too. You know, I would, I would look to support other women who are maybe coming up in the industry or struggling with whatever might be a challenge for them in the industry. It's different because I've, I think I grew up in the industry kind of knowing like this is the path that's been followed for running a business in the music industry. And I think I learned how to, I think I learned that path very well. And I probably only in the last five years recognize I don't have to follow that path that, mm-hmm. that yeah, I can really do whatever I want with my business because it is my business and it's a little liberating but it's also something I would hope to maybe give that viewpoint to a young person even a young person doesn't even have to be a woman but a young person who maybe thinks this is the way it has to be done and you know what go go find your way to do it if if you know, it doesn't, you don't have to follow the path that the way that it's always been done. Right. Yeah. If you follow the way it's always been done, you'll get the same results. But if you do something different, you may get something entirely different. It could be, could be a lot better. Which is probably why a lot of people look at me and think I'm a little crazy, but. <laughs> crazy in a good way though. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> you know, you mentioned women in the industry and um, as I, I think we're in kind of a you know, it's the best it's ever been for women in our industry as we have the Summer NAMM shows coming up next month and the, the top 100 uh, dealer awards. And, you know, several of the past winners have been uh, businesses that are owned or uh, uh, largely owned or operated by women like Lori Sapini and um, Gail Beacock. Um, obviously, you have your, yourself, you have um, Robin Walenta from West Music, who has been very, very active in our industry, been very successful. Um, you know, Kimberly Deverell. I mean, there's, I don't know, there's lots of women that can we could uh, name, but we're seeing a lot more uh, women involvement in the industry and in businesses. Certainly, in my businesses, uh, you know, I kind of think my business has three people at the top. There's myself. Um, and then we have a VP of operations, Misty Christek, who handles our operations and, and lesson program. And we have a VP of finance, which is Amanda Reuter. And like our business is, is uh, much better having their perspective in it than if it was just a bunch of dudes, you know, <laughs> planning this thing. What, um, what, do you, what perspective do you think women bring to our industry that might be different than men? Oh, I just think we think differently about how to approach problems, how to solve problems. Um, And I think that when, like really when we can communicate both men and women back and forth and talk about and freely and feel comfortable about talking about our ideas, I think that's when the magic actually can happen, right? Because I think it's the combination of, well, I think this way or I think that way that really brings some strength to to any team or any group. 
Yeah. I, one of my favorite memories with you, you'll probably know the story I'm going to tell, but when our little uh, four member group, the fab four, like we call ourselves came to visit Springfield music. So it was, um, you and Frank Pampanella from PM Music and Jerry Pellegrino from Pellegrino's Music in Canton, Ohio. You guys came to visit for several days. And uh, the last morning, the guys took off and left and you had a few hours to kill before your uh, flight. And so we were just going to go into the office. And I told you, I was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, I've got some stuff to do. So you could like pull up a computer or kind of do whatever and kill some time. And, and so we go in and you're like, well, you know, maybe let's just talk. We didn't get a chance to talk much with Misty and and Amanda. And at that point, we had an HR person. And like, let's talk with those people and see what they think about things. And like, okay, what, like that'll take an hour. Like, let's do that. And we spent several hours going through our their thoughts and feelings about me and our company. And it was some of the most impactful. Uh, it was one of the most impactful conversations that we've had. And we got into some very, very difficult topics that you kind of like moderated and led and i remember at the end of that thinking like holy cow like you know this all these several days of this intensive stuff with this group and stuff but like the key point came at this last minute and that perspective that you brought on relationships and communication and getting people to talk about the tough topics you know really uh, helped break down some barriers in our communication and improve the relationship that we had as a team. And that's a hard thing to do, but I think you definitely have a gift for it. Yeah. I still haven't gotten my check for that. <laughs> you know. no, no, no. I absolutely love doing that. And it's because I find that I learned something about myself, about my team. When I do those types of things, I think sometimes when I'm helping to point something out with, you know, and I try to do it diplomatically and delicately, I find that, Oh wait, i think I'm talking about that same personality trait. And you you said it, we're very similar, right? So sometimes when I was maybe saying something where I was like, Donovan, I'm just curious what that felt like to you or Misty, what did that feel like to you? I, I put myself in your shoes like, well, I don't really want to hear the answer, but yet I know I need to hear the answer. And without the emotion, it was easy for me to ask those questions because I was just sort of sitting there as a bystander, being able to ask some of those questions. Um, yeah, so you're I really, flying out of there in two hours. So, you know, what yeah, exactly. You so it didn't really matter if there was a volcano <laughs> or something, you know, it didn't really make a difference. Um, <laughs> no, I really do. I like helping in that way, right? I like asking the tough questions. I, I like digging in, I like being deep, you know, I yeah. think that most of my relationships, anybody that is a close friend of mine will say that, you know, I really want to know my friends and I want yeah. to know how I can be a support and help them. Yeah, that's true. So we talked a little bit about what's wrong with our industry. What do you think is right? What are some of the things that are right with our industry? Oh, I think that what we do is a whole putting music in kids' hands and people's changing people's lives. That's, it's, I don't know. Sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I don't think there are any drugs that are as good as that feeling of how important that is to affect people with giving them that opportunity to be in music. I think that's what's right about it. I think, I think it'll always exist because of this. It's yeah. what's right. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely my, and of course, as we we're coming up to rental season soon and, you know, we're going to get to do that uh, hundreds or thousands of times. And it's just, 
it's I always love it, even if I'm tired or whatever, like getting to see the look on students' faces as they see that instrument and just right. their excitement. And you know, like there's a whole new world that's going to open for this person. And, you know, for some people, it won't really strike a chord with them necessarily, no pun intended. Uh, but for other people, it's going to be something that they will be interested in the rest of their life. And then for some people, it's going to change their life uh, in a positive way. And to get to be a small part of that is um, really, really rewarding. Yeah, I, I try to teach it to my staff that everyone remembers that first instrument experience that really changed their lives. And so when we're talking about that, that's, you know, that's that moment. They, my staff get to be part of that huge memory for people that they're putting instruments into their hands for the first time. Yeah, it's a special experience for sure. So um, who do you admire and what have they helped you with? Huh, well, I, I think that's tricky because I don't necessarily say I have one fantastically great mentor, but I would actually say the people in this industry as a whole are my mentors, are the people that have taught me so much. Um, my first experience really connecting in the industry was at the 1999 Vancouver RPMDA, which I know is like a four-letter word to you, but <laughs> it's my love. I, you know, these people are really fantastic people, and I learned so much from them, and I really immediately part, felt part of what was the music industry family, and then, you know, to join NASMD and the NAM. I think that the people that I have come in contact with in my career are really, truly the mentors for me. There's some terrific people in this industry for sure. I and mean, there's people that inspire you with the way they think about business and relationships and life and what they've done with their business. And, you know, my experience, so many of them are so open and willing to share their story and share the lessons they've learned with others. And it's, yeah, I don't know if every industry is this way, but uh, I think ours is unique in the passion that we have for it. And of course, so much of us that are involved in it grew up in our industry, uh, you know, as young musicians. And so we have a real connection and passion to it. Yeah, that's well said. So uh, let's kind of, we'll wrap up here because we've been going for a long time. I, and I have a million other questions I could ask, but, you know, let's try to keep this like roughly to an hour. So if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, so this would have been the Tristan from 2009, what would you say? I probably would say try not to sweat so much of, I think I wanted to control so much. I wanted to have everything just perfect. And nowadays, you know, something comes up and it's going to be a challenge. And I, you know, I can even see it when a staff member will bring this challenge to me and I think they're expecting to see some sort of reaction. And I'm like, okay, well, all right. We don't have to make a decision on that today. So let's take some time and think about this. Uh, solutions probably going to come up. And probably if we give it a day or two to think about this, we're probably going to come up with a better solution. And I didn't have that kind of wisdom to be able to take a step back and realize that I don't have to solve that problem like this second. Mm -hmm. It's okay to just take a little bit of time. That's something that, you know, if any of my 
team listens to this podcast, they're going to hear this and go, oh, geez, <laughs> they're going to get so sick of hearing about it. But, you know, I'll have people around me that will say like, well, I just know that like, we'll never be able to do that or that can't be done or this is the way it's always going to be or he's not going to change or she's not going to change or whatever. And I always just try to stop them and just think, no, like we may not know how to change that today. We may not know how to solve that problem today, but that doesn't mean we won't figure it out tomorrow or next year. Like, right. you know, I think if you have the mindset of like, this will never change or this will get worse or he will never change, then you're probably right. Like those things will never improve. They'll never get better. But if your mindset is one of like, I don't know how to do it today, but at so, there will come a day where I'll know how to solve this and um, or this problem will resolve itself. I think that's a much more positive way to look at it. And it's very enabling. And I think it also kind of opens up something in your subconscious that sets your subconscious mind to start to think about, you know, other ways to solve those, those particular issues. Yeah. Creative ways. Sometimes I'm surprised at the idea that comes to me and I'm thinking, I'm so glad I didn't make a decision on this three days ago because I would never have come up with this idea. Yes, that's exactly. I just said that yesterday to an employee. We had tried to make a hire for a position last year. I really had the person hired and had finished training and then it went south like within about an hour and they ended up not coming on board. And it was a position that we definitely needed someone for and we've been without it this entire time. And now we've got the next person lined up and ready to go for this position, but they won't be able to start until the following school year. So it's going to basically be like two years we bring this person on. But this new person that's going to come on is going to be fantastic. And had we hired the person before, we probably would have been able to afford to bring on this new person. And I certainly didn't know it at the time when it all fell through that it's going to work out. But looking at it now, I'm like, you know, I think we're going to be better off this way than we would have been before. And so sometimes you just can't see the end. You know, what's the old saying? Like, it'll be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think there's certainly some truth to that. All right. So uh, now, Think of the Tristan that's 10 years from now. So this is 2029. We're going to put a message in a time capsule to tell that Tristan 10 years from now, what do you want to tell yourself? Ooh. Well, definitely continue to work on life balance. You know, I tend to dig into projects and then think, oh, I just need to work on this for, you know, a couple more hours. And then I do that for a week and then it's a month. And so I think reminding myself to add a little bit, you know, a little bit of variety. I love gardening and maybe even a little bit more routine in terms of a schedule. That probably would be useful for me. (laughs) Um, Just saying, you know, I'm going to actually schedule a time to get out in the garden, which is hard to do in Wisconsin because we only get a few days that it's really beautiful. (laughs) So when it's really beautiful, I've got to get out there. Um, You know, I think just in saying the, the thing I would tell myself from 10 years ago, I think I would say the same thing still. Uh, for my, for me, for 10 years from now, I imagine that I'll even have a a new sense of wisdom with that. Um, And sometimes just really being able to just say, I don't have that answer and really being vulnerable and maybe having to just sort of take the worst case scenario, right? Sometimes, and or recognize that it, it won't be as big of a deal 
because I think I still can get wrapped up with, I have to find a solution. Mm-hmm. I, I would actually say that's, that is probably my superhero power is that I am really good at finding new solutions to the new problems that are challenging our business. And I try to do them maybe quickly. Here, here. And, and perhaps that my, my new superhero power that I've just decided is my power, I perhaps should not be harnessing that because maybe <laughs> taking some time with decisions would be a better choice. Yeah. I've kind of lately come to the same conclusion. I think one of the things that's causing stress in my business is just the pace that I'm putting it on to try to build new skills. And so I've kind of thought, you know, I'm going to slow this down. And rather than try to put a new thing in place once a month, like let's roll with for a quarter with something. So it becomes a habit and becomes ingrained, but it's just hard for me to slow down because if, you know, anyone who's a, a Colby fan, I'm a very high quick start, which means I just really love getting into new ideas and new concepts. And I'm also very high in abstract thinking. So I love those kind of things, but the corollary to those is I'm very low on follow through. And so <laughs> I don't like to complete anything. And so I'm turning that over to the people around me to complete them. And I'm on next, you know, kicking up the next hornet's nest. And sometimes that's, that creates a lot of stress for the people in my business. So I've decided I'm going to slow down and focus on things that are really, really going to make a difference in our business over the next year. We actually, I started a new program last year and I would say that it's intimidating for my staff. So I, I hope to refine this, but we started a process where for their annual review, basically what they are to do is sort of create their list of goals of what they would hope hope to accomplish in whatever time frame they think is appropriate. Maybe they're thinking three months or six months or one year. Um, and that they actually would say, and if I accomplish this, then this would be the raise that I want. So we go in and we say, yes, if you accomplish this, you would, I would agree this would be the raise you get. But I think that I didn't have somebody to help me set goals when I was young in my business. So what I see this is as an opportunity to help them go after the things that they're most interested in. And so unless I'm really super passionate about something, I try not to force them to do my, you know, passion work, right? Like I don't necessarily force my team to follow me on the advocacy work. They all know how passionate I am. And some of them have signed on and some of them are really interested in the work, but some of them, I'm not just going to make this part of their new job functions to say, you're going to do this. Um, So I think that's been a, a helpful thing. Probably something we could use more of for me is to to remember that my team, if they're going to chase something that's actually going to benefit the business, to give them more power to do that. Yeah, well, that's great. You know, you said something else too that just I think needs to be shared and for people to consider. But you'd you'd use the term balance and work life balance and. I think as retailers and business owners, business managers, uh, we have to really kind of rethink that idea of balance because we're not going to get a the balance that other people may get where we just you know punch a time clock and work nine to five and that's kind of it like we have to think a longer time scale so our balance to our life may come over the course of a year or come the course of a few years you know if you're really digging into a serious project with your business you're probably going to be putting in much more than 40 hours a week and and putting in a lot of late nights and early mornings but if it's all to get to a certain point, a defined point, and that you have to, all right, once I, once I get here, I'm going to take a break. I think those things are necessary to be successful in our business. I don't, I don't know that you can build a very successful business in any industry 
just working nine to five, there's going to be times it takes more. But if you don't take the time away to not only kind of, you know, give yourself a break, but also to stop and look back and look at what you've accomplished and what you've done, then you're going to end up burning yourself out. So I think we just have to think about that balance on a longer time scale, but we have to make sure that we give ourselves that reward and that, that time off because we've deserved it. We've, you know, we've worked hard and we've achieved the things and you'll never achieve everything you set out to. I think if you're achieving 80% of the stuff you are setting yourself out to, like you are doing very, very, very well, you know, and uh, you can't, can't be too hard on yourself if you don't get the hundred percent. And as entrepreneurs, I think what we do is we see that the goal line is coming up, right? We're about to accomplish this and it's going to happen and it's guaranteed now. So now we can actually put out a couple new initiatives, right? (laughs) So we we haven't actually, you know, we are going to get that goal, right? But Mm -hmm. we haven't quite gotten it. And yet we put out a couple new things. And as entrepreneurs, that's, I mean, that's just a natural state of being for an entrepreneur, right? You know, you can see an opportunity, so you're going to tackle it. And I think that's an important thing you said just now was remember to go back and look at the good things you've accomplished because otherwise you can feel like you're not getting to where you want to be because you keep putting these new goals and these new mountains out in front of yourself and you might feel like you're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Well, that's so important for our team too, because I mean, that's something I'm not very good at. Uh, but our team, you know, has, has made it clear to me like, hey, we need to, when we complete something and we're successful in something, whether it's rental season or a project, like we need to just take a minute and celebrate it and just like kind of revel in like, man, this feels really good. Like we did this thing, we did well. And my nature is always like, cool, that was yesterday. So we've got to go on and start this new thing. (laughs) And honestly, that can be really unrelenting. And it's probably not a great um, environment for people to work in because people want to celebrate their successes. And um, if you're not making the time for that and scheduling the time for that, then they may not get done. I think some people, they do it better than others. It's a natural strength. And so if that's you kudos, you're fine. But if you're like the rest of us that uh, struggle with that, I would tell you to be intentional and like pull open your calendar and start planning now when you're going to celebrate, you know, your, uh, your repair shop, getting the back to school repairs, summer repairs completed. When are you going to celebrate the end of your, the stressful part of rental season and Christmas or whatever other things you have and like really try to be intentional with it. It's really important that our people know that they can stop and, you know, celebrate and that we as owners or managers can show our appreciation for our staff for what they're doing to help us achieve these goals. I think it's funny. Um, that made me really think about what my dad used to tell to staff when they'd be like, Hey Al, I sold a guitar today. And he'd turn around and be, well, good. You get to keep your job. <laughs> and that's how I grew up in this business, right? That was the, that was the, the his culture of his business. Oh man. And, um, and they're not entrepreneurs like us, right? So they do need, they do need those, those celebration times. You know, we may be as entrepreneurs, of course, I think they're great for us too, but I think we thrive and get something out of the successes in a different way. So yeah, it, it's important to celebrate, I think. Yeah. God, you know, you say that, and of course it's kind of funny, but I, I just think there's so many small business owners that 
when you said like, you know, great, you get to keep your job. Like they, I hope that there's something inside them that burns of like, Oh, that hit close to home. Cause I, I think there's a lot of people that have that mentality. It's like, Oh, great. You did your job. Like, and that is so defeating and demoralizing. Right. And uh, it's like, if your kid like hits a home run, you know, you're not going to tell them like, good job, Johnny. Like, you did your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, no man, just take a minute and like give them a high five and tell them way to go. And same thing with your sales staff. They sold a guitar, like, and, and it was obviously a big enough deal. They came to tell you about it. Like, man, give them a high five, like ask about it. This is your strength here, but like ask them like, wow, what, what did you sell? And how did you do it? Like, tell me how that, how that, how did that sale take place? And, you know, dive into it and not just as a, a chance to like, improve or sharpen their skills but like just let them revel in it and show them that you really care about them and yeah that's that's an important takeaway i think for any of us oh my staff's gonna be really happy tomorrow we're gonna have (laughs) really great yeah we're gonna revel a little tomorrow i love it i love it that's great well that's a wrap for this episode if you'd like help with your business check out musicretailconsulting.com for articles resources and coaching and consulting services also you can subscribe to this podcast so you're aware of future updates and rate and review while you're at it thanks for listening